a reminder, on Sunday, uh, 10.30, my systematic theology professor is going to be here, Dr. Alan Hawkins, him and his wife. Yeah, very excited about that. Danielle is too. Uh, <laughs> they're going to come and hang out with us. Uh, he's going to be ministering on Sunday morning, uh, and so we're going to be really excited that he's, he's coming out and hanging out with us. Uh, he's Amen. been a pastor. He was a pastor for a lot of years. I think 21 years is that he, he was a Baptist pastor for a while and then started his own church with a friend of his, um, and they were there for 21 years um, at that church. And he just passed the torch last year, um, probably about a year and a half ago. He passed the torch to uh, a younger guy from Pennsylvania, traveled a lot with Randy Clark. And so um, so he passed the church along with him, and he's been doing a lot of traveling. And, uh, of course, he was my, my professor in seminary, and so he taught two of the classes that I took, Systematic Theology one and two, and uh, challenged me a lot, gave me a lot of things to think about and consider. and in regards to studying the word and thinking about what I actually believe about scripture. And Amen. then uh, then he asked me to be his teaching assistant. So I've been his teaching assistant for the last two years. So it's been really fun getting to hang out with him. Uh, so yeah, come on out, invite a bunch of people. There's a there's an event on Facebook. If you want to share the event to your Facebook page, uh, feel free to do that as well too. So yeah, Dr. Hawkins and Gail Hawkins, they'll be with us. Amen. Good deal. I'm glad you gave us that synopsis of what he's about. I've been gone a while, and I'm back in the saddle again, functioning and enjoying ministry. And and uh, I went from being busy every night to having a little time off. And uh, I told Sister Virginia I was a little bit tired, but uh, I've slept in a few times when I didn't have to get up. But I had to get up two or three days, so I had to do some things. But it's always good to be back and share the word with you. And uh, Philip asked me if this was part two from what I shared last time. I said, no, it's just, it's just a part all on its own. So tonight I'm going to talk about contending for the faith. How many know you got to fight for your faith? You got to fight for what you believe. You got to stand up for it. And uh, sometimes you get backlash because of it. Sometimes the enemy's not happy with you when you share the Word of God with people and, and you have a belief system that especially is founded not only on the Word but in the power of the Holy Spirit because that really changes people's lives. And tonight we're going to look at the book of Jude. We're going to look at the first chapter and the last chapter of that book and the chapter in between. Actually, there's only one chapter, so I thought that'd be a little funny there. I got Pastor Ken to laugh anyway. I appreciate that, that you, had, that you enjoyed that little sense of humor of mine. You understood it. Okay. Well, we're contending for the faith, and it's an interesting passage. And uh, when we get to about verse 11, I'll share with you an experience I had in 1996. It was a tremendous supernatural occurrence. So uh, we're going to look at the book of Jude, and let's look at verses 1 and 2 to begin with. And it says there, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. And you understand Zach shared about being a bondservant, what that's all about. Of course, when the 
the pilgrims came over on the ships to America uh, to begin, you know, to develop our country. Um, many of those ships had what we called indentured servants. And the indentured servants, they had somebody else pay their way. And because they paid their way, then they owed them some labor or time of helping them establish their homestead or whatever they were doing. And so many times people did that when they didn't have money to come over. And so a bond servant is kind of similar to that in a way. In, in other words, we're, we're committed to, we're bound. You know, when you have a bond with somebody, you're bound to them. And so we are bond servants of Jesus Christ. We're bound to him. He is the one that paid the price for us. So now we're going to serve him because we want to. But we look there and it says, To those who are called, we talked about being chosen last week. To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. It said, Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So I think that's really awesome, don't you? See, when you're called and you're sanctified by God the Father and you're preserved in Jesus Christ because he's our Lord and Savior, then he promises us mercy, peace, and love, but not just enough, but multiplied to us. In other words, you will have more than enough of those three things so that you can have an overflow. How many know people when they get around you, uh, if, if you've got that presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, then people sense something. And they say, I don't know what it is about you, but you're different. You know, and uh, sometimes you kind of got a twinkle in your eye and they wonder if maybe, maybe you're an angel unaware, you know, operating in their life. But... Uh, you know, we have something special when we're preserved in Jesus and we're being sanctified by God. We have a mercy and a peace and a love that just cannot be uh, told. You know, it's, it's just awesome to have that in our lives. And so that's a special promise. Let's look at 3 and 4. We're going to go through these verses and we're going to talk about it. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. You know, he's saying, hey, you've got to stand up for what you believe. You've had a relationship with Jesus Christ and you've got to hold on, and you've got to stand up for what you believe about Jesus Christ. And that's important that we do so. You know, a lot of us have different beliefs about certain things. But when you have a conviction of something, then what do you do? You stand up for it, and you don't give in to peer pressure for somebody to push you in a direction that's not what God has for you. But he's... He said, I want you to contend earnestly for this faith that was delivered to all the saints. 
we were all given the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I want you to fight for that message. I want you to stand up for that message. And then in verse 4, for certain men, you could say women too, for certain men or women have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's hard to believe. We, we can't fathom it sometimes that we can be in church and that certain people will creep in and that they're marked out for condemnation. You know, in other words, there's some people that are marked out that will never get right with God. And sometimes, because the enemy uses them, they'll slip into your fellowship and they'll try to influence people. They have, you know, when you see the word like lewdness, that's a certain perversion or immorality that tries to come in with them in the way that they look at things who try to turn the grace of God into lewdness. You know, the, this whole thing about grace, and it's a wonderful topic, but uh, I forget the guy's name now. This was way back in the, I think around maybe 2000. There was a teaching on grace by a particular man that really disrupted the body of Christ because it, and, and there's an, you know, how many know that even there's an old saying, there's a lot of truth in a joke? And this was no joke, but there's enough truth in certain factors and things that allow you to, you know, be shaken a little bit because of the truth that's being shared, but also there's some things that aren't true. And they let certain things creep into the fellowship, into the church world, into the kingdom of God. And, uh, I, you know, I, off the top of my head, I can't just think of anything in particular, but I remember there was a craze back in the 90s where there was a church up in the northwest. Brother Dave Downey could tell us that there are some churches up there that are very powerful in the northwest part of the United States, but that is a hotbed for New Age religions in the northwest also. And people would give a mixture of things. And there was one charismatic church, uh, Zach was too young to remember this, but that came out with, they, they got to dancing in church, but it wasn't the Jewish two-step or the power of the Holy Ghost getting on somebody, you know. It was, they, would, they started to have dancing in the altars between different members of opposite sex. And it wouldn't be between you and your wife necessarily. And there was this craze that happened. And it kind of slipped in and then it became more prevalent. And then before you know it, that particular church, and it was kind of a well-known church, it got off track and... They started having all kinds of affairs in that church and sexual perversion that came upon those people. It was not good. And so sometimes people creep in and they bring a contamination with them. You think COVID was bad. 
and there's still people wearing masks. I don't know if you've noticed that. I, I see them going into Walmart, and I'm like, I want to go over and talk to them and say, why are you wearing that mask? Are you trying not con to contaminate me? Or are you trying not to be contaminated? But, you know, and I'm not trying to brag or anything. I did not, members of my family got COVID. I might have got it one weekend. I only had it for a day or so, maybe. But I don't know that it was COVID. Cookie was in a coma from it, you know. So there's all matters of, of uh, looking at this thing. But at a certain point now, they're saying this is not an issue. You know, you don't have to wear a mask anymore. But I see people, Lucy and I were driving down the street the other day, and we pulled up to 9th Street and uh, the main highway, 60 Business. And there was a person in their car with their mask on. I said, what are you trying not to contaminate yourself? You know, but there's all kinds of thoughts and habits and actions, but there are things that creep in to the church. And he said that some of these people were marked out for condemnation long ago. So we're not to be surprised when somebody slips into our fellowship. And you got to have discernment because when they slip in, who knows what they're trying to bring in with them. I'm not saying become paranoid about every visitor that ever attends church. But, you know, they'll try to get in. But we look at verse 5. It says, But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Now that's a pretty strong word right there. In other words, people that did not believe, he destroyed them. Now aren't you glad that Jesus Christ came and uh, you don't just get wiped out if you didn't go along on the trip this weekend or something? Uh, he, he allows a little bit of grace and mercy. But in those days, in, in those times, you know, because there were those that he saved the people out of Egypt. He called them out of Egypt. But the ones that didn't believe, they ended up getting destroyed. And I think about different ones. And, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So I better just read on, and then I'll, I'll get to that. When I step out of here, I'm about to chase a big rabbit, a big bunny rabbit that wants to hop along. So I'm going to try to stay out of the chase right now. But verse 6, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Now there are some angels, they left their proper habitation. And even some, as we know, they came down and had sexual relations with the daughters of men and we had what they called the Nephilim the giants in the land and uh, you know all this kind of perversion of the demonic realm mixing or the angelic realm the angels that fell they, they fell into perversion with the 
the daughters of men, and they actually had children who became the Nephilim. And God had to say, no more. And, of course, you knew what happened after that. That's when Noah's flood came upon the earth, which is interesting. I was watching television the other day, and, and I saw a documentary about Noah's Ark and how they think they found it and so on and so on forth. And I know Virginia and Sherman went to see the ark, the replica, up in, where is it, Indiana or Ohio? Kentucky. I knew I'd get it right one of these days. Kentucky. It was up there towards that direction. Anyway, I think a bunch of us ought to go up there sometime and see the replica of Noah's ark. I think that would be a tremendous trip that we could take together. And uh, But it's just awesome, you know, that God preserved mankind through Noah and his family and destroyed the earth because things got way out of hand. Would you say things kind of look out of hand nowadays a little bit, that there are some bad stuff going on? But, you know, we're finding out that some of the things that uh, mankind or the liberal society believes is okay that society is not really okay with it and we've seen different ones and not to overly talk about this transgender uh, situation going on in our society where there's such an emphasis on it but this is not going to fly but you know they keep trying things Satan and his imps they keep trying to distort reality with falsehoods. And they try to make people think that everybody is into it. I remember that used to be one of the things I'd tell my parents. You know, I'd want to go someplace. They'd say, well, no, you're not going. I'd say, well, why not? And they'd tell me, well, we don't believe in that or something. And I'd say, well, everybody's doing it. How many of y'all ever said that? Well, everybody's going. Well, you're not, so everybody isn't going. You know, man, I know I gave my parents headaches. And my mom, she'd sometimes cry, and I'd have to tell her I'm sorry <laughs> and sit down and drink a glass of iced tea with her on the front porch, you know, and, and try to patch things up because she was such a sweet lady. But, uh, you know, you, when you have a little bit of rebellion in you, you know, the Bible says, uh, says a little leaven leavens a whole loaf, you know. You let a little bit of leaven come into your life, it'll, it'll make you the wrong loaf of bread if you're not careful. But we see here that they're talking about how these angels came down. Now they're reserved in chains in darkness until judgment. You know, that's I wouldn't want to be where they're at right now. It'd probably sound horrible. They're crying out and, and screaming and all that gnashing of teeth and so on but we go on and says as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these now what about these he said when when this was happening this was going on you know Sodom and Gomorrah you know and it, Jesus in the scriptures in the New Testament, he said certain cities would have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah if they weren't careful, you know, because they were pretty evil. But saying 
in the same similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah you remember the story Lot lived there and God sent the angels to go you know Abraham had prayed for him you know please God don't destroy that city my nephew and his family's there he said if there's you know so many righteous and got it down to where he said well if there's ten righteous will you spare them and he said I'll spare them if there's ten righteous and there just wasn't and so he said okay well just please get my nephew out of there and the angels went and they were trying to get the angels they were so perverted they wanted to grab the angels and have sex with the angels and it's it's sexual immorality and that's what it's talking about you know that all this evil it was similar to what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah and that could be described if you went to certain cities when I went to New Orleans to work before I met Lucia I went to work for Marvin Gorman and First Assembly of God Church and First Assembly Academy and I would go down to the French Quarter and we would try to witness and there was such perversion down there. This was the early 1980s. And you'd see men huddled over kissing each other and women kissing each other. And they had the women swinging out of the windows of the, of the nightclub, swinging out on swings nude to try to entice the men to come in to the nightclubs and all the debauchery that was going on down there. And, uh, you know, I've told you about the voodoo man that had his shop set up there at this table and all his voodoo paraphernalia, and I went and put a track on it, and, and he said, get out of here, and he flicked that track off with his pencil. He was so fearful because I said, Jesus Christ loves you. He didn't like that. He said, get out of here, and he flicked that track, and I picked it back up and put it back up there. I said, Jesus loves you. He said, get away from me. And he flicked that track off in the street and he went into his voodoo shop. He would not talk to me. The name of Jesus Christ was so powerful. But he was bound in his sin and his voodoo so strongly. And I mean, you know, just stuff would happen. You just wouldn't believe it. But anyway, these were the kind of times they were. They were given over to sexual immorality. And we're not just talking about uh, somebody's neighbor, you know, flirting with them and they fall into a little situation. We're talking about perversion. And I don't need to describe too much of it, but perversion and sexual immorality that included bestiality and things like that. You would not believe all the stuff that goes on in these evil cities and you know uh, you know I will not speak of it from the podium you know but there's other things that I've heard of that you would it would blow your mind as to how sick and depraved 
the sec sexual immorality it was. But he said these, they go after strange flesh. In other words, it's not just a man after a woman or a woman after a man or it becomes woman after woman, man after man. It becomes pedophilia with children. It, and it's even beyond that, strange flesh. You know, like I said, uh, animals and all kinds of stuff. So these were very evil times and very evil people. And he said, likewise, in verse 8, also these dreamers defile the flesh. That's the first thing they do. They defile their flesh with different things. And, you know, I remember going down the street as a 10, 11-year-old boy and going into one of the houses where one of my friends and him and his brother and sister and their mother was there and uh, she had a boyfriend that would stay on the weekends with them. And, of course, we played all over the neighborhood. We played cowboys and Indians, and, you know, we just ran through the neighborhood and played basketball and softball and whatnot, wholesome activities. But I'll never forget one day my friend, he said, come, I want to show you something. And his mom wasn't around, and her boyfriend wasn't there, and he pulled off some magazines off the top of the refrigerator and showed it to me. It was horrible. It wasn't Playboy. You know, that's bad enough. It was strange flesh. It's, I couldn't take it back. Once I saw it, I saw it. And it violates a young person's mind. It violates your soul. It violates your spirit. It made me want to go throw up what he showed me. He said, can you believe that? I said, I don't even want to know about that. But at 11 years old, here I was seeing it for the first time, not knowing that people do those kind of things. But it was defiling the flesh. And then the second thing is they reject authority. It's when people will not come and submit to somebody in authority. In other words, it's not talking about being a slave to somebody, but you're submitting to an authority. Like, in other words, if somebody submits here in the church to Zach or Pastor Ken or myself as pastors, you're submitting to things that we're trying to help you with. We're trying to keep you out of trouble. We're trying to, uh, we're, we have to be, uh, you know, caretakers of your soul. We're trying not to have you get into dangerous territory. And so as pastors, we don't want to domineer and dominate people. We want to help you excel and have a tremendous life to live. But you see, some of them reject authority. A lot of people reject authority on the job. They reject authority in school. And, uh, you know... As kids, we played a lot of jokes and did things, and, and it wasn't right. You know, I remember one of our teachers, and I won't say his name. Some people in here might know who I'm talking about. But he taught a biology class, and he wore hearing aids. And this, you wouldn't think this is evil, but 
It was rejecting authority. And so he would read something and he would ask if anybody knew the answer. And maybe I or one of my friends would raise our hand and we would do this. And he would look at us and then he would turn his hearing aid up. And then we would say it in a normal voice and of course it would blow his eardrums, you know. That was mean. That was wrong. But of course all the kids were snickering back in their seats, you know, thinking, oh, that's so funny. You know, you boys are such cut-ups. But that rebellion starts early. It starts when you're young, rebelling against authority. And so, you know, when you get in trouble, guess what they'd do? They'd send you to the principal's office. Now, they won't let them do this anymore, but they applied the the Board of Education to the seat of our learning at least two or three times. Yeah. And I got it several times. I got sent to the office several times. It's because I had a big mouth. I thank God I can use my big mouth to preach the gospel now. But, you know, they reject authority. This is how it starts. You know, it they defile the flesh. Somebody defiles your flesh for you or they corrupt you, they pervert you by making you see things that you should have never seen, and then they, the devil plants that little seed of rebellion so that you won't obey authority. And then it says, and speak evil of dignitaries. You know, that's where people, you know, I don't agree with this administration, I'll just be honest with you that's in our office now, but I really have to bite my tongue because I want to say so many bad things towards people that don't believe the right way. But you got to be careful not to speak evil of dignitaries. You can make an observation. Oh, I noticed the president fell down the other day or something. But if you start poking fun at him, you can get yourself in a little dilemma. You can get yourself in a way that's not healthy. So let's go on. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. And I've shared this even with our prayer teams and such. You've got to be careful going around rebuking the devil because Michael, the archangel that was the warrior angel, the one who helped Gabriel get away from the prince of Persia when Daniel was fasting for 21 days, this is the one that said he didn't even do a reviling accusation against the devil, but he said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. And that's how we need to stand uh, up also is we don't start getting on our own high horse and rebuking the devil ourselves well who are you yes you're a child of God but you know what we're under the authority of Jesus the Christ and that's why Michael would say the Lord rebuke you and we have to be careful how we handle ourselves and so you know he warned us there but these, verse 10, speak evil of whatever they do not know. 
and whatever they know naturally, like brute beast and these things, they corrupt themselves. And uh, a lot of times people in the church world, they get a certain arrogance about themselves. And it really grieves my heart when I hear an arrogant person in the kingdom of God. I remember one minister, I was listening and was talking about this couple, they lost their little baby. And this minister said, well, they didn't have any faith. That's why that baby died. My goodness, it grieved me to my core. How could you make that accusation against a couple that lost their baby? You know, it's just because they didn't have faith? My goodness, I'm a big failure if that's case then I've had a lot of things that didn't happen seemingly uh, could have just been because I didn't have faith well I've been standing in faith for a long time for some stuff to happen but you know we have to have the right attitude and if we're going to contend for the faith we need to come into more understanding about our enemies and not to be arrogant towards them but it goes on now here I'm going to Read this verse, and I'm going to tell you uh, about a supernatural happening in 1996. Woe to them. Oh, wait, verse 10, did I read that? Yeah, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, these that are like brute beasts, that have no respect for the kingdom of God or for uh, God's authority. It says, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. That's the first one, Cain. Have run greedily in the error of Balaam. That's the second one, for profit. And perished in the rebellion of Korah. That's the third one. Then he makes the point, These are spots in your love feast, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves they are clouds without water carried about by the winds late autumn trees without fruit twice dead pulled up by the roots I could go on but I'll stop there for now uh, before I share this supernatural story I was talking to brother Norm the other night and we were reminiscing about a minister that we both knew pretty well and Norm, it's in his heart always to gather leaders and people. He's going to have a group of leaders meet him or go with him to Athens, Georgia this weekend. I think this is the weekend. And they're going to minister in one of his friend's son's church. He said there's nine pastors coming and there's people from other churches coming. And it's a prophetic meeting. And a lot of the ones that are going, like Chris and Jenny Nowak are flying over from California to be at this meeting. And others are driving up from other places to join with them. Norm is a gatherer. Anybody that has a true heart for ministry, and they're a part of what we call the fivefold ministry, they gather people. And so, you know, Teachers got to have people if they're going to teach them. Pastors, 
got to have people if they're going to shepherd them and help them recover and, and get their needs met. Apostles can't start works without people. Prophets have nobody to prophesy to if there aren't any people. And evangelists can't win people if there aren't any people. They, to, for to evangelize, you got to have people. So Norm is a gatherer. Well, this particular minister, he would have gatherings. And he spent a long time talking about the offering. I'm talking about 35, 45 minutes every time over the offering. And he always wanted to get a good offering. And I'm not trying to, I'm trying to be careful here. But this man was always wanting to know he was going to have plenty of money. Well, Norm and him talked, and he asked Norm what his objective. He said, I want to I train people. I want to raise up people to continue to do the work of the ministry. He said, well, I just really want to do the ministry. See, you could be a good singer and play an instrument, but if you don't want to help train others and teach others, then you're not going to have more people come in to do ministry with music. See, uh, And so this man, he was the type that he just wanted to prophesy and minister. He didn't care about training people. Well, he, he did some training. His sessions taught them about prophecy. But one day this man called him and he said, Norm, he said, I'm alone. He said, what do you mean? He said, I don't have my own house anymore. He said, I'm renting a room from some friend that I know. He said, my kids don't want to have anything to do with me. He said, a lot of people don't want to be with me anymore going around ministering. He said, I'm alone. And it was sad. And this man ended up dying of COVID in a, in a foreign country. Sad. He was a friend of mine. He could prophesy. But he died alone. Him and his wife got a divorce before all that went on. and She died of cancer. You know, it's just, he was alone. You got to love people. You got to be around people. And so Norm, he said, "I'm 84 this month. He's going to be 84." He said, "All I can think about is raising up sons and daughters and and wanting them to do good in their ministries." He said, "That's one thing. See, we have in common. I've got a lot of people in the ministry that are in other places that look at me as a spiritual father." And I got my own blood son as a pastor here that's also my spiritual son. So it's a joy, you know, to help raise up people to do the ministry. But you see, these three, they become spots in the love feast. And all they want to do is serve themselves. Do they want to serve others or do they just want to serve themselves? Is it only about them getting served or are they wanting to serve others? You know, this is what I look and I observe people. And I'll use Philip and Anna as an illustration. And their kids are along with them. 
they do a lot to help other people. Y'all ever notice that? They're constantly helping people. He said he's a little sorted. I said, what, what's going on? He said, well, I was helping Pastor Ken and Stephanie plant trees last night. And that's work. That's hard work. And he already worked a full day. You know, they're always doing something like that, helping somebody else. And so, you know, they have the right stuff. I'm proud of them. They got a servant's heart, and their kids are the same way. They have to go along for the ride, don't you, Caleb? He goes, yes. <laughs> but when he grows up, he's got the right stuff, see, when he has his own family one day. He'll be serving God the right way because of that. But if all you're doing is serving yourself, you're going to die alone like this other brother that has passed on and said. But these three show that there are spots in a love feast. And it's sad in today's world. I'm not as concerned about people being that way in our congregation. We've got a loving fellowship. But in the church world, there's a lot of people like this. There's a lot of immorality in the church world today. There's a lot of evil going on behind the scenes in the church world. And you see it on TV. And then it turns people off when they hear about scandals in various ministries and church churches and such as that. And, and we grew up around ministry and and Lord knows I've crossed paths with a lot of different ministers that were well known. Some slipped up and fell away and others have done good and I had some good influences. But in this regard, I'm going to share with you, in 1996, I was having a lot of dreams spiritually. And I had a spiritual dream about our church. Then this was in Florida. And it was beginning to grow. And I was adding staff members. And, and I had elders. And a couple of these guys, I dreamed, and it was a strange dream, how I saw them in error and you know it shook me up I got up I walked out of the bedroom I went around and I sat on the sofa in the living room and this was in uh, the house where uh, when we had uh, Alicia and Nicholas and Chelsea they were all born when we lived in this house Zach was born in the pre-Hurricane Andrew when we lived in that house, actually a rental. So, but this particular house, I went around, I was sitting on the couch, just stunned by the dream, and all of a sudden I had a spiritual vision. I mean, it was as clear as day. I mean, it was like a television screen playing out before me in my living room. And I saw this white gorilla run at me and it stopped before it got to me and it just growled and shook his fist like this and and I'm like what on earth what am I seeing it scared me to death you know and then it vanished and I was like oh my goodness and then the second one that I saw was the uh, 
I saw is like a huge python snake or an anaconda. It was so big and it moved around and it was coming at me across the floor and it opened its mouth real wide. And I was like, is this thing going to attack me? It, I mean, I saw it with my eyes opened. This was no closed-eyed vision. And, and all of a sudden it vanished. I was like, oh my goodness, Lord, what are you doing here to me? And then the third one was a huge, it was like a 16, 20-foot alligator. And it came in. And it came up and it bared its mouth and fangs. You don't want to get attacked by an alligator. I mean, when it chomps down, buddy, that's it. It gets you in your torso, and if it gets you in water, it will, it will do a death, you know, swirl and take you underwater and drown you. But I saw these three creatures, and I said, what am I seeing? And the Lord showed me, you know, what it was. Uh, the first one was, he actually the Lord said, go read the book of Jude. You know, in South Florida is known for a lot of stuff. I mean, you got a lot of hedonistic stuff and sexual immorality happening down uh, town Miami and on the beaches. And I mean, just the way the girls would dress in the shopping malls. They hardly had anything on, you know. It just, you know, you couldn't hardly go out without being slammed by possible immorality and perversion. But I saw these things, these three creatures, and, you know, in Cain, what that represented to me, because he said some go the way of Cain. And the word way meant a specific route that you would take. Now, when you go to St. Louis, what route do you take? Do you drive all the way to Sykeston, go up I-55? Well, it depends on where you're at. If you're over in Brosley, you might go that way. But maybe not. You know, probably Brother Sherman goes right up the get through 51 all the way to Advance or something goes that way. But uh, if you're in Poplar Bluff, you go up 67. Because it's a pretty straight shot now. And it's four lanes. You have a route you're going to take. Well, and that's the thing. You're on a journey in Christianity. You're going down the road of life. And Cain, he has a way and a route he wants to take you. That spirit behind it. That spirit of Cain, if I can put it that way. He wants to enrage you. He wants to anger you. He wants to cause you to be jealous. And see, when Abel gave his sacrifice unto the Lord, he gave the best of his animal, animal kingdom, and he made a living sacrifice. He killed that animal and shed the blood of the animal. Cain brought in some fruits and vegetables out of his garden, but evidently it wasn't the best. He brought in the coals and maybe the ones that he didn't really want. And he tried to sacrifice that to the Lord. The Lord was not happy with Cain and his sacrifice. Some people come to church and they wonder why they're not being blessed, but they don't sacrifice 
very much for God's kingdom. And they wonder why they're having trouble with their finances at times. Well, they never give. They never give their tithes or their offerings to the Lord. They don't help others. But some do. Some go above and beyond to help. And I appreciate I had people give to my Mexico trip. I didn't have to make appeal for offerings. I mean, God just supernaturally moved on two or three people, and I was greatly blessed to go on that trip. And But anyway, he provoked to jealousy. The way of Cain is usually the way of jealousy. People get jealous of somebody in the kingdom of God. The second one was Balaam, and that was the error of Balaam. Balaam was a seer. He was a prophetic person from Mesopotamia. He wasn't like the most righteous prophet in the world, but he was gifted the way God created him. And, of course, he tried to get up and speak a word against Israel, but he couldn't help it. He had to say what God put in his mouth. And all he'd do is bless Israel. So for money, he went behind the Israelites' backs and he told the enemy... He said, hey, uh, if you will intermarry with the Israelite women, get your men to intermarry with them, or you get your daughters to intermarry with the men, and then you can captivate them, and you can make some kind of a deal with them so that they don't put you out of commission. They'll have to let you survive. And so the way of Balaam, the error of Balaam, is that he used his gifting, he was covetous. He wanted what they had. He wanted their money. He wanted what they had to offer him as a gift. You know, it'd be like somebody saying, oh man, I'd like to have that car that guy's driving. Well, the guy says, hey, won't you come go with me somewhere? And then he kind of paints it out. Oh, maybe I'll give you this car if, if you'll help serve with me or something and people get covetous and they lower their regard they'll lower their standard because they're covetous for what others have man I hope I never want what somebody else has enough to where I lower my standard of living for Jesus you know it's so funny uh, lately before I left for Mexico, I had a friend that started texting me. He got my phone number, and he would send me these little pictures and whatnot. He had a dog named Buddy that had died, and somehow this dog made such a spiritual impression because he turned and committed his life to Jesus like never before because this dog died. And the dog somehow made him see how much Jesus loved him and so he really committed his life and so now he's witnessing and telling people about how his dog made him want to serve Jesus it's crazy but this guy was the head of the union the president of the railroad union for used to be called the Grand Trunk Western Railroad that went through Detroit Michigan he was an engineer. He went up the ladder until he was the head of the union. 
You know what that is? I mean, you're talking about almost like mafia, you know. I mean, you're the head of the union. You're controlling things for thousands of workers. Well, now he serves Jesus with all his heart. And he's witnessing to Muslims and everybody. And he's getting them to come to church. And they're talking about how I came to your church and it's changed my life. And, and he said, well, here, I want to give you this little book, this little devotional book. Will you read it? And it's a Muslim gal or it's a Muslim man. And yeah, I'll read it. And it's all about Jesus, you know. And so he's witnessing all over the place now. Well, he used to drive this beautiful Corvette that everybody wanted. That thing was fast. We went to Disney World for spring break one uh, year. He came down and went to school with me for a semester. And he played on my softball team. He just came down for the fun of it. He, he was already a railroad engineer. He didn't need to go to school. But he just liked hanging out. And we drove down there. This is not even spiritual. I shouldn't even tell you this story. But we hung out, and then on the way back, we got behind a 1970 Chevelle SS. And the guy wouldn't let us pass him. That was back when the speed limit was 55, Sherman. And we tried to pass him. we go 90, he'd go 100. we go 100, he'd go 110. We chased him from Orlando all the way up 75 to I-10, all the way to Pensacola. It took us 22 hours from Springfield, Missouri, to get to Lakeland and St. Petersburg, Florida, Tampa area for spring break. And it took us 16 hours to get back. We knocked six hours off because he had this crazy Corvette that we just, it was fast. But anyway, I told you that wasn't spiritual. Hopefully you won't hold that against me for telling you. But it was just a lot of fun. But it's amazing that Balaam, he would prophesy for money. And when I was in Miami, I got five families from a particular church up in Miami that came to our church. They were good tithing families. And they quit the church they were at because they had this prophet come in to the church. And he said, okay, everybody that's going to give $1,000 tonight, come on up here. I'm going to prophesy to you first. And several people did it then he said okay now everybody that's going to give $500 tonight I'm going to prophesy to you next and so then he prophesied to all those that gave $500 that night and then he said okay now those that are going to give 200 and then he got down to 100 and these families didn't give anything and they quit that church because see that's like Balaam prophesying for money covetous of what others have they want to drive the big fancy cars the Rolls Royces and so on you know so they prophesy for money can you believe it that was so I couldn't believe it and uh, this guy lost a lot of good families out of that church because of it anyway the th that third one is the rebellion of Korah. And this alligator, you know, that I saw, it was very scary. But literally, Korah, it meant bald, one without a covering. 
in other words. That's why I like to wear hats. I don't want my bald head to be seen out in the sun because I'll get burnt. So I wear a ball cap. But see, when it talked about in Scripture, it's like because there was no covering on the head. Well, Korah, he was one of the leaders who felt like he was equal to Moses and Aaron. And he came with a couple of other guys, and I won't even tell you all their names, but he came out and he wanted them to know that they need to listen to them. You know, and they weren't just going to listen to Aaron anymore. And they came against Aaron. You know, remember, these kind defile the flesh, and then they also, they don't hold back speaking evil of dignitaries. Well, Korah was one of them. And Moses more or less said, okay, come out tomorrow. We're going to see who God chooses. And he said, okay, if you're with him, your family stand over there by your tents. Everybody else, if you don't want to stand with them, you need to get away. Of course, a lot of people got away from them. But they had big families, and they were all there. There was like three of them. And, and he came out with Aaron. And, you know, he said, well, Lord, do your thing, basically. And you know what happened? The ground opened up. And it swallowed Korah and those who were in rebellion. It swallowed them up in the ground, Randy. I mean, it just, just sucked them down in a hole, and it, then it closed up, and they were no more. You talk about dealing with rebellion. That was an easy way to deal with. Moses had some authority, let me tell you. You didn't monkey around with Moses, and Aaron was his mouthpiece. And they got too big for the britches, is southeast Missouri way of saying it, you know. And and the Lord dealt with them. You see all this rebellion and all this negative action. It was evil, and the Lord doesn't put up with it. Is what I'm trying to say. They were spots. He called them without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. And then he goes on and he, he describes even more of what it was all about. But later on, and he, and he described them in verse 16, they're grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. When you have people buttering you up, you better be careful. You know, it's one thing, to applaud somebody's efforts, but don't let them butter you up to gain advantage on you. But he goes on and talks about how there's going to be mockers in the last days. They're going to walk according to their own ungodly lust. But he says they're sensual people. They cause divisions, not having the spirit. But he said, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, doing what? Praying in the Holy Spirit, verse 20. That's why it's important to be praying in the Holy Spirit. When I'm not praying about something in particular, I can be driving around in my car and I'm praying in the Holy Spirit. You know, you build yourself up. Keep yourselves in the love of God. 
look for the mercy of God. And he said in verse 22, On some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by flesh. You know, he's able to keep us, see? He's able to help us. But he's telling us right there, you know, there are people that don't know any better. And they're not too far gone that we can't help save them. And we need to make an effort to pull them out of the fire. We need to make an effort to have some compassion and grace and mercy on people. And so show love the most that you can. But we also have to discern that some are not going to change. And they're marked already. And there's nothing we can do about it. But you're not supposed to mark them. You're not supposed to be the one to pass judgment on them. But you don't have to give them a position of leadership either. You know, you got to know your people. When the folks I'm looking at right now, I have a lot of confidence in. A lot of appreciation for what God's done in your lives. And I'm excited about what God's going to do. Amen? Stand with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that we are able to grow in the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God, and the word of God. I ask you to bless each one to walk, stand up upright with you, that they make a difference in other people's lives. They don't let the enemy creep in and cause them to fudge in their, in their commitment or their convictions with you, Lord. Help them to stand for the righteousness of God and to be a witness to all those around in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord.